two, one. Hello and welcome back to the third long format podcast of the Habs Puck Drop podcast. Uh, we'll just jump right in with the review from this week. It was a bit of a short one. So we had a 4-2 win against Calgary. Uh, goals from Gallagher, Weber, Anderson, Toffoli. Um, yeah, let's just talk about this game first. How'd you feel overall? Yeah, the first game against Calgary was, was great. I mean, like I, I think we came out like, you know, all uh, all systems go. Uh, you know, our pace seemed up. That's how we, you know, our game plan going into it was, you know, outskate them, outskate them, outskate them. Um, one thing I noticed with Calgary during both games, but like it obviously really stood out during the first game was how well they hold the blue line, like their blue line. And like, they really trap you in the neutral zone. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that was our biggest issue getting in, but you know, with how bad Riddick was playing and how floppy and, um, you know, the rebounds he was giving up, you know, I think we just capitalized off it. Yeah, I think Calgary's blue line is one of the better ones in the league. They've really had guys like Hannafin and Anderson kind of show their real potential. You know, they were always kind of playing subpar or below what they could be playing in past years. Anderson really blew up in the bubble last year, being their best defenseman, and I think he's carried that over. So, you know, with Valimaki stepping up, then you have Giordano and Tanev. It's, it's a lot of solid blue liners, so it's definitely, we noticed the best blue line that we've played yeah, so far. Much rougher too. They're yeah, they're we, much bigger and it's a complete blue line, right? Because yeah. like we've played at to that point, Toronto, Edmonton and Vancouver, all very kind of mismashy blue lines. And so I I definitely noticed their blue line yeah. the most. They're more patchy, so like our the the fact that our depth is that good, we kinda just exposed everyone else, but that didn't work as well with Calgary just because they're so complete. Right. Um, I think it is that, worth saying it was a 4-2 win. Yeah, it was a 4-2 win. We had some, uh, you know, meh goals on price there. Yeah. Um, mostly defensive errors. I, I found, like, their forecheck kind of surprised us a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as much as you go into the game and, like, don't want Kachuk to get under your skin, uh, you know, you don't want, you know, Lindholm Bennett getting under your skin, like, Kachuk will find a way, and he clearly did there. I mean, Sherratt dropped him, but... Um, yeah. You know, I mean, it definitely, it, it does expose D. Because, like, as much as, an, as annoying as it is with Kachuk, he does pull D out of position. Because, like, people want to hit him. <laughs> well, that's the you thing. Know? I think that I would have even argued that in general, looking at the two-game series, he was not the biggest agitator on the ice. I would say it was that little Dylan Dubé. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. I think that it's, it's exactly, you know, Kachuk is one of those guys where he's... He's kind of like a unicorn in the NHL. He's not exactly a power forward, not exactly a playmaker, not really a sniper, not really an enforcer. He's just kind of one of those guys who, he just plays a very like 90s style hockey, but he puts up, you know, 2000 style points. And it's very, very, you know, rare, but also very, very hard to play against just because he is so unique. Because even comparing him to his brother, Brady's a power forward. Brady, he just, he that's his game. But could, like Matthew's just a weird... It's more like Keith. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, but, uh, yeah, yeah, not much else from that game. I mean, you know, if we're looking at a little deeper dive on the on the goals themselves, we had Gallagher on the power play uh, from, you know, Perry and KK. They were a nice had, pass that by was Perry. Very yeah. nice pass. Through the legs. Very clearly, like a play they worked on in practice, and it just works uh, Weber from Druin and Petrie again on the power play. That was the one that went off Valimaki's stick there. 
um, a, you know, fortuitous bounce, but at the same time, when you're shooting that hard and when you shoot that often, good things happen. Uh, then you had Anderson from yeah, Drew and the KK, baseball, uh, the baseball star. Yeah, yeah the uh, yeah, that's the one where he batted it out of the air. Yeah, just and, showing his athleticism again. That was you yeah, know. just and be able to make those plays at high speed. And then the last one, that great feed from Suzuki, shorthanded to Toffoli, where he pulled off that kind of you know he lost the puck for a second there and mm-hmm. kind of in losing it fooled Redick a little and just stuffed it home. But yeah. you know, three goals coming on the special teams. It's starting to, you know, starting to look like the Habs were, you know, not relying on special teams, both power play and penalty kill, but kind of had been on that so often they were getting used to it. And I think that was also a big part of the game where coming into it, we had been so used to killing penalties and scoring power play goals that when the penalties did settle down a little, we almost threw ourselves off our rhythm a little. They They didn't settle down, though. Like, the penalties are still staying super high. Um, I don't know. I'm starting to think it's more of an us thing now. Like the refing is definitely super critical and they're calling like, I'd say probably 10% more, but we don't have 10% more penalties. Like we're, we're taking like, you know, double the penalties that we were last year. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to say it's necessary. I mean, it's obviously not a positive thing, but I don't know if it's totally a negative thing either, because I think with, you know, taking that many more penalties, it just shows that we're playing harder. We're, uh, you know, forechecking more, you know, forwards are getting back and back checking more and like, you know, getting more hooking penalties. Um, so I don't know if it's, you know, it obviously needs to stop because, you know, going into the playoffs against teams like Tampa Bay and stuff like that, you know, we can't put those guys on the power play, but you know, until then, I think we can work it out and I don't want them to really change how they're playing. You know, I think, you know, it's leading to, you know, goals on both sides, but you know the it, it's clear that it's it, it's instigated by the four check and the back check and how like all four lines are just hustling up and down no definitely i i mean that's the thing is you know we said it from before this is shooting it out of bounds that was just ridiculous yeah, that was just well, a statistical fluke though I th- yeah I think. we won't have another one for you know next yeah. 20 games we just got them all out of the way um but yeah no again like a game like that a 4-2 win that's a good solid win you know there were things to work on and like as we'll see going into the next game here, two nothing loss against Calgary, um, you know we need to finish on our opportunities. We need to kind of get in a you know normal five on five routine, which is something I'm not worried about because even before this super group that we've created, basically, you know Habs were a very strong five on five team, and so just looking at that two nothing loss. You know, the only kind of bright spot for my, you know, losing is you can, you know, highlight Jake Allen. Being a 9-6-9 save percentage, we let him down. The goalie didn't let us down. This is exactly what we were hoping for in a backup. Yeah, so, I, I'm a little worried with, just with, if you look at our, our schedule so far, I mean, obviously we haven't played that many games, but like this is the first time we played like an actual, like, like solid goaltender. Like, like Freddie Anderson is like kind of, He's a bit of a polarizing goalie. Like he'll have kind of like those nine seventy nights, but then he'll also like have those nights where he lets in you know three on five shots. But Markstrom's just a solid goalie, and it worries me how dependent we are on rebounds. Clearly, because Markstrom was just like a black hole, just absorbing everything, and we got no rebounds, and we couldn't really find a way to put it in except that. I mean, there was a few bounces that you know were just kind of unlucky, but you know with the amount of opportunity we had, it just seemed like we couldn't break in and. You know, Riddick was kind of, you know, bridging that gap with us because, 
know, he was allowing rebounds. They were meeting us on the blue line, but those times that we could get through their blue line, we could actually get some chances off. But you mix in a solid blue line with a goalie who's literally not giving up any rebounds. It's just, we're going to have to figure out how to deal with that Yeah, next and time. we mentioned it in the Between the Whistles podcast there. Um, this is a good test of adversity for the Canadians. I want to see, one, how they bounce back, and two, I know we don't play Calgary for a little while, but... By the time we play Calgary, I believe we'll have played the other elites in the you know in the Canadian division, the Connor Hellebucks. I mean, Matt Murray's a solid goalie in Ottawa, but I think I want to see how the Habs kind of bounce back specifically against Markstrom the next time they play. Um, you know, you can't rely on just rebounds. You can't rely on just dirty goals, and I don't think they particularly make that. You know, what they go out to. I think they're very strong finishers to bury those you know garbage goals. But I think this is something Claude Julien's gonna definitely, you know, recognize and kind of fix too in terms of I, I understand what you're saying in that, you know, like we haven't just seen a lot of like clean shots just go in. You know, like I, I remember specifically from the bubble last year when Suzuki just came in on Jerry and just just put it top shelf. There was yeah. no screen, there was nothing. And I think we do need to see a little bit more of that. Yeah, the another thing with Markstrom too, I noticed that he did really well was we hadn't played a goalie that could play the puck that well. And, you know, you mix in, you know, those three things with Calgary, you know, like holding us at the blue line, uh, a goalie that's not giving up any rebounds. And then when we do try to dump and chase to try to get through their blue line, you know, he comes out and controls the puck. It's, it was very frustrating, but, um, you know, Markstrom's a solid goalie and they have solid D. So it's going to be one of those games that maybe we just have to really lock it down defensively. But again, like, I don't think Allen could have played much better. Yeah, being almost 97% efficient is, you know, what else can you ask from the guy? And then, you know, I think it is worth mentioning just, you know, for anyone who would have kind of like hit the panic button a little that early. Um, there was about three or four, you know, posts and crossbars in that game too. There was a lot of moments where Markstrom was on his back and we just couldn't bury that. I don't think that happens every time. I think while, yeah, the the 90% of the time where he's, you know, spot on, you need to work on making him not so much, you know, in position. But I think the other 10%, you just got to bury your your chances. At the same time, though, like, you know, Calgary had three or four crossbars too. I mean, like, that's just, I, I don't... You know, I, I, I don't see, like, the, the luck thing as, like, an excuse. Like, it's just not going to... There's some bounces, yeah, that, you know, like, when... Um, I forget who it was, but it was, it was basically an open net and... and uh, yeah, when Markstrom fell over, that was with yeah. Weber coming in. Yeah. Just the, those are the things I count all towards the same thing. You know, yeah. it's just... There's going to be nights where that happens to the Habs. There's going to be nights where it happens to the Vancouver, to the Rangers, to the Islanders. It's going to happen to everyone. Mm-hmm. I just mean, like... In a perfect storm, in a two nothing loss like that, it seemed like you know it's it wasn't a fifty fifty. It really did feel like there was just a lot of bounces going one way. Yeah, even nothing on, you could even do on about calorie that. there. Who's there that missed the open net? Uh, Basically, just completely tore Allen apart and then just oh wide was, open yeah, there. that was uh, Nestor off. Yeah, you mean when he made yeah. the move against Price in the first game? Was that the first game? Yeah, when he cut in like that. that was oh, against that was Price. the first game, yeah, yeah. But either way, like that's exactly yeah. what I mean. Some nights it goes your way, some nights it doesn't. It's not a reason to kind of like lean on and hope for, but it is just, you know, like worth mentioning where there are times where things that should be goals yeah. just don't happen. And I, I like what Claude Julien said after the game. He basically said that too. He's like, you know, we can't, we can't just rely on, on being lucky and we can't rely on, you know, not finishing and we can't, you know basically blame the fact that we lost because like he had a lucky post that's, exactly he, he said uh closely said like you know markstrom had a lucky post but that's not a reason for us to lose 
and uh you know it was clear that like yeah we had shots but like those shot that shot quality just wasn't very good like there's a lot of times we were kind of held out to the uh, to the corner of the circle taking weak ones at at markstrom's uh crest just to hope to just hoping to get a rebound but like we said he's just not giving up anything yeah so again that's just something that you know the professionals will adapt to i'm not worried but being down anderson really did hurt us because like you know it's one you're losing you know one of our top goal scorers and like a very physical guy against a very physical team but also um you know that really shifts around our right side a lot and like you know all of a sudden you know the Habs haven't changed lines yet we we and i and i like it they're actually like seeing through you know the plan that they've made in the off season but you know, then all of a sudden, you know, Anderson leaves and, you know, everything's shuffled up and you have guys playing together who never play together. And yeah. it just led to some, you know, some sloppy plays. And I don't think it'll, uh, you know, happen next time we play Calgary and let's just hope Riddick's in net. Yeah, that's basically it. So do you want to go on to the preview for next week? Yep. So at least this week we have a little bit more hockey, which I always like looking at the schedule and seeing, you know, more often than not games. Um, so... We have a back-to-back against Vancouver, February 1st and 2nd. So let's start with those two. Um, how do you feel about these games, um, given I, that they're at the Bell Center this time? Yeah, Vancouver's a little more healthy now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, So their D is going to be a little deeper. But, you know, again, it's not that deep on a healthy Vancouver team. I think coming off of a team like Calgary, it's going to seem like a bit of a cakewalk just because... One, you know, both goalies, Holpe and Demko, just aren't as solid as Markstrom. Uh, they don't even, they don't take up as much net. And, you know, Markstrom's just so athletic. But, um, you know, just the depth of Vancouver's D doesn't really scare me. And, and in particular, their size. I mean, like, you have the guys like Myers or whatever, but he doesn't play that big. And, you know, Hughes, we were just running through. Um, you know, I like the games where Montreal is clearly the more physical team. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, I find, uh, you know, when we get bullied a little bit by bigger teams, we tend to have harder times. Um, and Vancouver's just not one of those teams that could do that to us. How about you? Uh, yeah, I feel I feel very good with these teams. Because now it's going to be the first time we're not going in blind. We're going to have a bit of a game plan. You know, like you said, they're a little bit more healthy. But, you know, a healthy Vancouver versus an injured Vancouver, there's not a massive difference. Um you know, there's there's key players back. Like, I mean, I believe one of the games Edler missed against us. But again, it's a team sport. You can't really have one guy change the whole dynamic. Or it's very rare, at least, yeah, and, to And see the main it. issue with Vancouver was their goaltending. I mean, like, you could add more D. You know, you could add in, you know, you, you can swap D. And, like, you could add in, uh, you know, Giordano in there. But, you know, the fact that Holby was letting in the goals he was letting in. I don't think it's going to make that big of a difference. And their offense is still struggling. Another reason why I feel good on February 1st in particular is that Vancouver's just come off a big win, a 4-1 win over the Jets. And, you know, Vancouver, if you if you look at their uh, recent play, they're very, uh, like... Um, up and down? They're very up and down, yeah. So, like, when they win one, they kind of trough. And then when they trough, they kind of come back and pull it together. So, you know, we're... We're statistically in a trough for them, so um, we'll see how they do. Plus, they're traveling, right? So they're they're gonna have a bit of jet lag. Yeah, that's that was also that kind of goes into part of what I was thinking. They're only getting too. here too, uh, like very very like like right before, right the, before game? the game. Okay, yeah. that's good to know too. Then, but that was also part of it. It's like you know, as much as they're coming off a high, we're coming off a low. Yeah, and I think that those two crossing each other leads to you know somewhat of a disaster for the team on the down, but. Um, 
Yeah, both. And, you know, given the games are back-to-back, it means we're seeing both goalies from uh, Vancouver, at least. Do you play Price or Allen first? Uh, I'm not sure because, you know, last week when we talked about it, I thought it was going to go Price-Price. You said it was going to go Price-Allen, so you were right about that. Um, I'm not sure, honestly, because you've got three You've got three games in four nights. Um, gut feeling is they're going to do Price-Allen-Price. But they could also very well just go Price, Price, Allen. Wait, what about the fourth game? So Price, Allen, Price, Allen is what you're saying? I'm saying on the first and the second against Vancouver, I could see them going back-to-back nights with Carey Price. Okay. Then putting Allen in for the first Ottawa game and putting Price back in for the last game of the week to round it off. But, you know, they could also very well split the games and then basically split the games again. We, We don't really know. I think it's a little different given now we've played Vancouver, so we'll, we'll have to see. But um, Yeah, I think it's going to be Price-Allen, Price-Allen. I think the yeah. split's just working well. I mean, plus, you know, I don't see, uh, you know, like a 3-to-1 ratio favoring Carey just with how well Allen's playing. Um, so there's not really any harm in, in playing Allen more. It just rests Carey more, especially for these games that, you know, like being honest like Vancouver and Ottawa like these are games we should probably go 4-0 this week yeah I would I would like to see if we lose like just make it all make it a overtime overtime just because like these teams aren't teams we should be losing to like the the high throughput games that we need to like really focus on this season are Calgary Toronto and and Winnipeg yeah and like those are the games that you know I'd rather instead of playing price three nights this week and then fatiguing them and then going to Toronto the week after like just split it 50 50 with Allen keep price healthy for Toronto that's then... the thing it's like it's you you know like we know they basically have his rests already scheduled which like we've talked about before are uh, they doing that I don't know yeah they've, they've pre-scheduled a lot of his rest because they they just that's the way they think is best but um I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. I'm sure it's, you know, a basic schedule that's kind of like, you know, open to change at any moment. But yeah, because I'm just looking at the week after um, and we have so after Ottawa, we have a four day break. Right. And then we play Toronto. OK, so then, so, yeah, it's well, not. Yeah, it's, it's a very tricky situation. I'm sure we'll, you know. It's definitely going to be three. But, like, if they go Price-Allen, Price-Allen, Allen playing the last game of the week on the 6th against uh, Ottawa on Saturday night, if we keep going with that trend, then that would bring Price playing against Toronto and then Allen against Edmonton. Okay. So that seems like it's most likely. Yeah, I'm also case. just trying to think right now about how they handled the four-game week uh, the first time we did it there. Where they played Price three times and Allen. Yeah, once. but it, it that's a little different though because they're coming off the off season, right? So they yeah. kind of want Price to get in the groove of things and and also you know Habs fans want to watch Carey Price, and also Allen has to get kind of you. Allen like you know he got there January first, so they got to kind of you know. No, it makes it makes bit. sense. I think the the good this is a good problem to have is which starting mm-hmm. goalie gets the, the gets the game. Yeah. But again, we'll we'll just have to see. But I I think we're both in agreement that you know. These are four games that we should win. They're four four-point games. And you know what? Like, we really do need to just rack up the wins early while everyone's healthy and, you know, across the league. Because this is the time where, you know, the games seem like they don't matter as much. But if you can get a couple long winning streaks early in the season, 
it pays its dividends later in the year when, you know, you might have a couple guys injured or, you know, you might have a few rough games here and there. It's kind of that cushion to fall back on. Yeah, because it's also like, you know, these are the, these are the uh, you know, the freebies and like, you know, Calgary, you know, Cal- Calgary really scarred me over this week. Like, I, I'm worried about that team. Um, it may, I think we were right ranking them as high as we did in the in our rankings podcast. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they're a tough team, and uh, clearly, you know, up there with us is, like, the most physical in the Canadian division. And, um, you know, these games against Vancouver and Ottawa are, like you said, going to pay dividends in the end if Calgary continues to give us trouble if we go 50-50 with them. Because uh, Toronto, you know, it's going to be a similar scenario. And Winnipeg, you know, if There's Calgary... To be seen, yeah. Yeah, and with Winnipeg, like, if, if Calgary gave us that much of a physicality issue, I could see Winnipeg being just as bad and, and, and an even better goalie. So, yeah, we'll have to see. But we got some really good hockey this week. Yeah, that's the end result is there's four games in, you know, seven days, and that's that's the most fun. Yeah. Um, so we'll jump into the current events. Um, the first one I actually forgot to put down the board here, but uh, Dylan Dubé not facing any league... Uh, hearing, not facing any issue, no fines, no suspensions that we've heard of. I mean, it's 6.30 on Sunday evening, and we've heard nothing from the yeah, league. so this is the second bullshit call we've heard. You know, nothing for Myers, nothing for Dubé. I mean, like, they're really setting a precedent here. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's even more of a piss-off if you look back at the, the penalties they are calling. And, you know, like I said, you know, they're calling probably 10 15% more. That's what, like, the recent... Uh, you know, uh, statisticians, hockey statisticians have found is that it, it's, well, it seems higher, it's only 10 or 15% higher, which can just evaporate just, you know, in playing more games. It, it's kind of, you know, the probability is a little funny that way when you have such a small sample size. Uh, so I'm sure it'll even out. But, you know, when you see soft calls like this going for every team, and then like, you know, the league's not taking the same, you know, sensitive steps towards hits this dangerous it, it's really uh, discouraging because um you know it, it it subconsciously gives players confidence in making those hits when it really shouldn't you know what i mean like well, dubay dubay you know by all accounts now he's like you know he's reflecting on this game he's like i didn't get a penalty Sherat got a penalty for roughing me up after and the league hasn't even you know so much as uh, emailed me. And the media praised him for yeah. the hit. So there's nothing <laughs> wrong when, like, you, you, you slow the frame down, like a, you know, a, uh, you know, a armchair GM slows it down and watches. There's not a single point of contact except his head. I would argue if you doubled the speed of it, you could still see it was a head shot. Yeah, you know, you didn't have to slow it down. So it's like, a, you know, with, with the league and, you know, all their, you know, all the algorithms they run, you know, and, and when they evaluate these hits, how this passed, you know, right through. I think it has a lot to do with the fact that there's no penalty called during the game. You know, that they're very busy, especially with the condensed schedule, which shouldn't be, you know, shouldn't be an excuse. But I'm sure, like, they filter them through by the fact that, you know, there wasn't a call on the ice. So. And I know this is more hearsay than anything, but I'd just be very curious to see what would happen if it wasn't Jesperi Kotkaniemi, but it was Austin Matthews. Mm-hmm. I just want to know what the difference would be from the league in terms of a, a popularity standpoint. Yeah. just feels a little bit off that a player can have a nosebleed like that. And I just I want to segue from this just because I think it's a fun little conversation that we can have too. Just between the nosebleed and then seeing Milan Lucic without a visor. Um, and we can even throw this out to like people who are listening that want to like maybe message us on Instagram or send us an email. Uh, doing away with the two 
uh, two and two for blood if you're not willing to wear a, a visor. Yeah, I That agree. doesn't make any sense to me. Um, if you get a high stick and you don't want to wear a visor... You yeah. should like we shouldn't have extra two minutes for blood. No, because like you're you're if you're not wearing a visor, you're increasing the probability that you're gonna bleed. Yeah. Right. So, you know, why why should that affect everyone else on the ice because of your personal decision? I mean, like that'd be like, you know, not wearing, uh, you know, not wearing gloves and then getting more slashing calls called for you. Right. You know I mean, and it's like to segue again off of that. Do you think there should be? a kind of out of my control moment for the refs where if there is a player who for any reason um other than you know like real like you know accent like he grabs a skate or something if there's blood from the face do you think that should be an automatic two minutes like for example let's say dylan dubay's hit was completely clean but kotkaniemi you know managed to like smack his face on the ground or so just something that, you know, maybe that was the best example, but something that draws blood, should there be anything there? Because I seem to notice a, a lot of players, not just from the halves, you know, I noticed Dubé, like, same play and everything, just, they, they get, you know, really cut up just from the scrums and the hits and everything. I feel like that blood part really should be a defining factor if it already is yeah, for the NHL. There's small issues with that, like in terms of the, you know, it, it's it's a sport played on ice. So like the, you know, it's a very dry environment. You see a lot of players with cracked lips. You know, like I personally get very cracked lips in the winter. Um, you know, I just spontaneously, my lips just bleed. <laughs> so like, you know, it can be kind of, uh, you know, I just, I don't think, like I understand your point, but like I feel like with 21st century technology and the amount of reviewing and cameras that are in the in the stadium, I feel like we shouldn't need to have, you know, like an, oh, blood, that's a penalty kind of thing. Right. When, like, in reality, like, every play should just be looked at, you know, from up top. I mean, like, we have so many cameras in the rinks now. I mean, they got, they got overheads. They got every angle imaginable. Like, they should be able to, you know, look at something in retrospect and be like, wow, that was a very dangerous hit. We have to penalize him. Well, that was going to be my second question because while I was posing it, I don't personally think... That blood should be the marker. I just wanted to see like your thoughts on it too. I also want to say, do you think that there should be a ref that isn't on the ice? Yeah, I, I do think so. I don't want to start seeing like, um, you know, the buzzer go off five minutes after a hook because they missed a hook. Like I think mm -hmm. that would be a little bit uh, stupid. But especially for, you know, boarding penalties for, um, you know, um, possibly even high sticks. So like like ones that can actually cause serious injury. I mean, mm -hmm. like no one's getting injured from a hold. Mm -hmm. No one's getting injured from like a, you know a hook or something like that. Yeah, I, I meant more along the lines of you know if, let's say you know I'm I'm going along the boards and someone's stick waves in front of my yeah. head and doesn't make contact, but my head snaps. Well, like a third ref that's up top. Yeah, who's working can... at not at the play. Exactly. Yeah, no, I agree. We should have that. Less less so of a call that not so much calling calls that don't get made, but I mean more as you know ref makes a call it goes to this you know third ref eye in the sky for a confirmation that's his whole job is penalties yeah or yeah i i could see confirmation being okay just because i think if it's called like it shouldn't have to be verified mm -hmm. um i see what you mean though but I, I i could see the more of the benefit of having a third ref being like seeing those uh those penalties behind the play like we see a lot of like you know really bad slashes behind mm -hmm. the play or we see uh roughing penalties behind the play I could see there being a use in that, and, and judging by like how little it would cost the league, I don't yeah. really see why. I mean, it's basically, 
you take the refs that are currently working and you just add one to another game. Exactly. It's not a big deal. You don't even have to hire other people. I mean, like, you could even have refs who are retired solely based on the fact that they can't keep up with the game anymore. Yep. So, like, refs who are older, you know, because, like, as soon as these refs hit, you know, 55, 60, they can't keep up with the players. Mm -hmm. So they, they retire. Right, but you could use these guys as like a you know a fifty eight year old, sixty year old who's sitting up top watching the games and at being, doing his job, just not the skating part. Yeah, which you arguably that's the best person for is the guy who's seen the most. Yeah, so he's veteran and you know. Yeah. So okay, so we'll move on to this is going to be the shortest one. I this is just an update I wanted for everyone who's kind of freaking out yesterday. So Josh Anderson, uh, it's you know been reported freaking out you mean me yeah and, I, I, and me <laughs> i had a mental breakdown last night that was uh um, very scary it's food poisoning yeah. he just he had you know bad pre-game meal shitting himself yeah on the probably bench. just having a very rough time in the locker room you know they probably asked him and he's like i'm out for the night yeah mark me down his day-to-day yeah. <laughs> but um yeah so it's nothing with the shoulder it's no injuries they they went from flu-like to food poisoning so he'll be fine back to it yeah uh, flu-like is uh you know they Wrong should they should tread right lightly now. with that kind yeah. of that kind of language, but you know. But Julian also confirmed. He said, "They said flu like we mean like stomach flu. He's not showing any signs yeah, yeah. of COVID nineteen. Like Claude well, they Julian get tested reassured. like almost every day. Yeah, right? I mean, he got tested today. It yeah. was just more along the lines of Claude Julian knew what the the word flu like was you know floating around, and he shut it down really quickly. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's twice now. Anderson's given us a heart attack like this. <laughs> it's uh. You know, it's a five and a half million dollar heart attack. Yeah. Well, yeah. Seven year, five and a half million dollar heart attack. That's, that's the important part, you know, but, uh, you know, it's good to hear he's good. He's okay. Because, you know, again, like he's such a vital piece of our, of our team, obviously. I mean, he's playing incredibly for us. Yeah. But again, like you take a piece like that out of our team and all of a sudden, like we're not as robust as we think we are, you know, like you take out an army you take out a Lekkanen, you take out a Byron, uh, you know, you even take out a Toffoli or a Druin, it's okay, but, you know, you take out a Gallagher or an Anderson or a Tatar, like, that really, really hurts, Yeah, you know? no, it's, it's just, this is it, it's like, we really, we're deep because we have that extra depth, but once you take that away, you know, times two, well, yeah, times three, yeah. it, you, you can only afford to lose one or two guys at a time, you can't lose three of your right wingers and claim depth. Yeah, because, like, I don't want to see Froelich and Perry in at the same exactly. time, like, Perry's only good when... You know, he's he's playing that role that he's playing for Armia right now. Like, as soon as, like, we start playing swapsies with Anderson and Perry, I think we're going to start running into some trouble just because... It gives me flashes you know, of Byron playing center again. Yeah, like, Perry, you know, <laughs> he extremely talented player, but like, I, like we were saying last week, I think his benefit on the team is going to be those short stint of games with us where he, like, really just, you know, amps himself up while he's resting, and then he comes and plays a great five games for us and yeah. scores two, three goals... Uh, I don't see him being able to play those first line minutes in the Anderson uh, Anderson position and, and produce like how he's producing now. No, it's a just it's a completely different player. Um, okay, so the Victor Mete trade request. So before we get the confetti and the pinatas and the, and the champagne, <laughs> um, I wanted to just think: Is there anywhere you think he would go? Just you know, off instinct. I see Vancouver taking him. Okay, uh, but you know, I don't think. I think it's a, I think it's a rumor. I mean, even if he did request a trade, I don't think Mark Bergevin is going to move him because that he's just fantastic. Uh, you know, bait for Seattle. Yeah, that's that's. The, I mean, looking at who we have now, 
I, I, yeah, I really, I want to have him kind of around, unless the, like, proper, um, you know, trade comes to there's light. No, there's nothing we need, though. That's, that's, the thing. that's what it's I was like, going to mention. In this, you know, between taxi squad rules and salary cap styles and just the overall, just the, you know, current, you know, culture of the league, you're having another body come back. So mm-hmm. it's going to have to be most likely a defenseman, maybe a centerman that a team doesn't want. Um, you know, I heard a couple people online bouncing around the idea that we, you know, with after Calgary, um, Sam Bennett requested yeah, a trade. Yeah, he wants to, but so, again, he wants a bigger role. That's we exactly can't give him it. That, we can't so. give him that. The only, the only few trades that I saw that I think were like of mild interest was um, Jake Furtanen in Vancouver. Okay. Um, that's a, just another, you know, power forward kind of bottom six guy with top six upside. That's the kind of guy who like, you know, you can put in throughout your lineup as well. Yeah, it's just, it's again, just the cap we're, we're in a me. very delicate cap situation that's exactly and Victor it. Mete gets nothing. So that's it. it's, uh, you know, it's very, very tricky. And also, you know, I, he's just, he's such good bait for Seattle yeah. that like, I don't see us moving him because one, we don't desperately need anything and we des we don't desperately need anything for his value. Yeah, I'll like take, his, I'll take his value won't, if we call up Kale yeah, Fleury. his value won't bring in a lot and uh, it's definitely not something we need. Plus like, you know, the, the, the intrinsic value he holds and just like capturing Seattle's attention, I don't think is worth like a, a pick. Yeah. And just, just kind of trampolining off this one. So this is obviously like a massive, massive rumor. It has nothing to do with anything, but that whole Sidney Crosby kind of uh, yeah. story that's getting swept under the rug. So just a little bit of backstory on the Penguins. Jim Rutherford just stepped down as GM because he tried to move Chris Letang. And it looks like, you know, the Penguins are the, the mentalities that they were about to clean house. Um, you know, that's the kind of trade where... If, if you can get Sidney Crosby on your team, yeah. like, I couldn't imagine the Canadians with Sidney Crosby. Well, because... There's the Dano trade right there. Yeah, like, I'd, I'd move Dano there. Well, like, yeah, of course, for yeah. Sidney Crosby. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, can you imagine that mentorship with Suzuki? Like, I... Well, that, no. that's exactly where my head went to, and, like, it's... Also, yeah, just to fill you guys in, like, the whole th- the whole thing with what Jesse was saying was with Rutherford and, and cleaning house, but, you know, when Crosby was asked, basically, by, a, by an ESPN journalist... Uh, basically his trade list and there was only one team that made the trade list and the only team he'd want to go play for is the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, if he had to leave. Pittsburgh. If he had to leave. Yeah. I personally think he's going to be a penguin for the rest yeah, of his no, career. Because like, you know, I mean, the production on the guy and his cap hit right now, it's just like you'd be absolutely nuts to start cleaning house with him and then like like keep Gino. You know what well, I mean? Well, that's like you, exactly. You keep Sidney Crosby. Like I don't think... You know, if if he if we do get Sidney Crosby, it'll be after his contract's done and he's like an old... Uh, an old fart. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, I, I still think, you know, if we can get a Crosby in his late 30s with yeah, uh, for sure. uh, low cap and kind of playing third line center, yeah. I'll take... Well, uh, imagine the stars line up and when Deno dips, Crosby comes in for some reason. Yeah, well, I mean, like, Crosby <laughs> at 40 will still get 70 points. Well, so, there you, you know, go. That's... And I mean, it's a, you know, it's a pipe dream, but it's it's a fun little pipe dream to yeah. have. And, you know, just guys who, you know, we were saying, Deno and Mete and all these things, these are all pieces that are attractive to rebuilders. Mm-hmm. So there's there those just worth mentioning. And now, this isn't really Habs news, but this has just been a very, I mean, it surprised everyone. And then also when more details came out, you know, the surprise kindly went away. Um, 
Anthony D'Angelo being put on waivers. So this is a, you know, 53 points in 68 game defenseman coming off New York. Um, I think everyone was very surprised to see this guy put on waivers just for anyone to claim him. But then when it comes out to why, I would stay away from this guy. He seems like an absolute cancer in the locker room. Well, yeah, I mean, the whole reason he was booted was basically uh, a story came out that, you know, he was, uh, you know, doing Anthony D'Angelo's, you know, bullshit again. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in the locker room, he's a very chatty guy. He's very, uh, you know, he, he throws around a lot of, um, you know, conspiracy theories. He throws around a lot of, um, you know, just very political, very political, um, you know, viewpoint on life if in a sport that is very non-political so you can see a lot of guys in there just kind of getting fed up with it but basically uh in one of their last games uh georgiev um the goaltender for new york basically uh he called him out for something he uh, made he, a bad play in overtime he, he made a bad play in overtime like so uh, d'angelo puck. basically just threw him under the bus and then uh you know that led to a bit of a confrontation and then apparently uh all we know so far is that it's a it was a it was a much bigger guy uh basically punched D'Angelo. And, the, you know, uh, the, the rumor is it was Chris Kreider. Might be Mead, too, though. It was, sorry, who? Mead. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so there's, it's one of two guys who are, like, you know, the big guys on New York. So, um, you know, either way, I mean, that's just, you know, it doesn't really matter who it is. It, it matters more that it happened. And, like, um, you know, apparently management pulled him aside, like, right after that and basically said, you're gone. Now, there's a few teams that, you know, personality aside could could uh could use picking this guy up i mean yeah. like we're one of them you know i mean like we could use picking him up he would he would absolutely uh you know cause a uh, massive cap problem for us yeah i mean it's he's not, like 4.8 right yeah i just don't think he's but worth the you know cap. but i also just i don't think he's worth the um you know the malignancy is in, in in the locker room because you know guys who are like that like clearly don't do very well at the habs i mean like galchenyuk I mean, and even if like, you know, from a from a business standpoint, bringing in a guy that controversial is just not a good business move. I mean, this guy's like been suspended for you know tons of games in junior for using racial slurs, and then his you know his father coming out who was the agent at the time and basically he's, he's defending him, saying that he uses those slurs every day too. And they're, you know, he's just he's very uh, he's very politically polarized, and he he's very uh, you know I I don't see him wanting to move to Canada either. No, I just, I don't think it's a fit. The only team I could see in Canada attracting him would be Toronto. I don't know how their cap situation would work with that, but an offensively-minded right-hand D, they might jump on that. But we'll also have to see, you know, the, the there's a pecking order for waiver wire, and, you know, there's, there's teams like L.A. that desperately need defensemen, too, that might just say, you know, we don't care about attitude. Look, they took... Um, L.A. cares about attitude. Well, Linus Anderson, the team, though, Ly- uh, Leas Anderson, they took him on. He was the one. No, in I know, York. but it's different when I'm when I when I say L.A. I mean it's California. I mean there's a lot of like. Oh, you don't mean the team. You mean the, like the place. Well, no, this, yeah. Well, like the people, like the people that go to their games, right, okay. are like are from California. So like they they're very political and they lean very politically left. And to have a guy who's like you know you know basically a Q and honor. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, coming in there i mean i from a business perspective that just isn't a good isn't a good fit because you know in teams like you know original six teams you you can get away with that because like your fan base is so solid that you know it, it it's it's the new york rangers it's the montreal canadians it's not tony d'angelo but 
when you go to a team like, uh, I mean, LA is obviously a, a big franchise, but if you went to like a San Jose, for example, or like an Arizona, mm-hmm. I mean, Arizona would fit in, but like, yeah. uh, you know, LA, like there's a lot of people in LA who like really, really hate that type of, um, that type of um, political identity and just his outspokenness. So I think that would just, you know, bring in like uh, non-needed uh, divisions. I guess. I, yeah, I just, I wonder, I, you know, all the experts are saying he's going to clear waivers. So yeah, I think he's. I think I he's gonna. I don't think he's gonna play. And you know, even people saying he's gonna go to the KHL. I mean, like if you read this guy's yeah Twitter, which he's he's not on Twitter anymore. But if you read his Twitter, I mean, this guy bleeds America. Like I I, I can't really see him moving to Russia. No, it's so. it's not gonna. It's the people just instantly jump to the KHL right away when there's an issue here. He'll he'll figure it out. But you know what? He'll be very happy to collect his checks even if he's not playing right now. So, you know, I just, um, not a fan of this guy. I don't, ignoring the politics and ignoring all that, the, the, it, just thinking from an athletic point of view, you don't go after your teammates like that. And if, you know, whoever it was that did step up and there's clearly a leader in the locker room, did there, did there need to be a physical fight? Probably not. But you know what? Again, these guys are hockey players. That's, that's part of, you know, what's hardwired into their system. Um, if it was, like we said, Chris Kreider, that's an assistant captain on the team stepping up for the young backup goalie. You do what you have to do, and that's why you get those letters, too. So, I mean, yeah. it's we'll just see. Yeah, you have to just remember, at the end of the day, these things are businesses, and, you know, like, the type of guy you have representing your business on the ice, like, it, it matters. And, you know, New York, obviously, uh, you know, with, with D'Angelo, like, he, he, he added the last straw there. and Definitely. You know, they, they basically, from a business standpoint, were like, you know, this guy isn't bringing in the value that we're putting into him, so just let him walk. Yeah, that's basically it. So, um, we'll jump into our gambling. So, looking back at last week's gambling, we actually, we went over 3, but I find it very funny that we went over 3 and basically had the mirror of our picks yeah. happen. So... Just a quick reminder, we had the under for the January 28th game, and the under would have followed through on the 30th. Uh, we had a win on the 30th, but we actually won on the 28th. And then we predicted a shutout on January 30th for Jake Allen, but it was actually a shutout for Jacob Markstrom. So, yeah, so. unfortunate, you know, we kind of had an idea where that was going, but uh, it wasn't in our favor this time. Yeah, there's also this thing, you know, Jesse and I have to get through where basically, like, we're incapable of voting against the Habs so like you know I I could have guessed that we'd lose one of those Calgary games uh you know if it was my guess I I would have put the first game just purely based on the fact that Calgary was playing so badly against Toronto like I I could have seen like a you know trough trough hill Mm. and like you know they come back against that game in Montreal and like they you know beat us marginally on the first game I thought we would definitely have the second game but you know, it's all flipped here, so... Yeah, just weird, but, you know, it happens. I mean, we're not going to be perfect all year. It's more, you know, at least close... You know, with us saying uh, getting that close, I'm okay with in yeah, terms yeah. of just guessing. Um, so we'll jump into this week's picks. So uh, the first thing we have for you guys is take the over on February 1st. This kind of alludes to what we were talking about before yeah, with... Holtby Price. It's going to be big. Price, uh, the Habs coming off a loss, and... Um, Zero Vancouver. goals, too. Yeah, that's the big thing. I mean, like, why. if you if you look at our if you look at our stats, like, we're due for, like, a 7-8 goal game. Well, that's exactly. So. I was going to say, between us, basically, like, statistically expecting a win and how, you know, poorly our offense showed up against Calgary, 
I would not be surprised to see a bunch of goals. I scored. feel like we might get the over purely on half scoring. It could yeah. very much happen. Um, I could see like a six one or something. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. And then February second, just take the W. Just straight up, Habs are beating Vancouver in the second game. Um, we know their team. We know their style. Doesn't matter which goalie's in net. We can beat this team and especially on the you know off chance that we lose the first game that is just such a guaranteed w it's it's there's no doubt in my mind that february 2nd is not a habs win yeah no i agree i mean it's just uh you know it's as simple as we're just we're much better than vancouver and you know kind of getting humbled by calgary there i think uh you know and and anderson coming back in and potentially armia i i don't know so much about the news right now with him but um you know so far nothing yeah so i mean either way i mean we're looking good. Yeah, and then, you know, we always try and get one with a little bit higher of a payout this week. It's a little boring, but um, on February 4th, we took the Habs winning with the spread of minus one and a half goals. I'm assuming they're going to be the favorites against Ottawa, um, but if they're not, that payout will be even greater. If for some reason they're the underdogs, um, yeah, so minus one and a half goals for Montreal on February 4th, that should be a decent payoff wherever you're gambling from. Uh, those are our three picks for the week, and we should probably then jump into the power Yeah, we'll move rankings. on to the power ranks. So this week, we're going to start with the D. Okay. Um, we're going to start, we're going to move bottom up again. Yeah, I like that the best. So uh, I'll start off with uh, number three of our uh, 3D. Um, I'm going to go with Shea Weber. I mean, I think he just, he pulled through this week. I mean, great. He's been really good on the power play. He's thriving in his new spot there at the top of the circle. Like, you know, Weber clearly struggled holding the blue line. I, you know, it's just his mobility with his ankle. And, um, you know, he's just, he's a slower player. I mean, he, he's not very quick. So, you know, I, I last uh, season on the power play there, we'd struggle a lot with ringing the puck around, around the uh, corner and Shea not being able to get there quick enough. But, you know, he's basically, uh, you know, his role now is just uh, the cannon, basically. So we, we load him on the top of the circle there. Um, you know, Romanov, Petrie, those are the guys that are running the top of the circle, and those are the guys that you know have the mobility to go and grab those pucks and you know just feed it to Mister Schmee. Yeah, so, um, yeah. it's also worth mentioning too. You know, he's five points in eight games this year, and all five are on the power play. Yeah, so, he, so he's, he's he's clearly he's doing his job. yeah he's found his groove there. I mean, I I don't think it's a coincidence that we we moved his position a little bit. Yeah, uh, we got him kind of in that Ovechkin area, and uh, which also should be why of an explanation as to why he's missing the net by how far he is. Yeah, we moved him over about that much to the left as yeah. that he's missing the net. I just think yeah. that'll take some getting used yeah, to. Yeah, and also like he's in a position now where there's going to be less bodies in front of the net for him to mm-hmm. like hit. So like we you know it's I'm sure like Gallagher's thanking him. I'm sure like all <laughs> those guys that he's like perpetually hitting uh is going to thank him and you know there's just less uh room for blocking there, which is which is good for us, but you know besides his offense, which has been great, you know, it's ha- it's good to see Weber you know, have a role on the power play that he's comfortable with because, um, you know, he doesn't add much more to the power play except that. I mean, he, he's he's quite slow getting back if, if they dump it down. And also, uh, you know, his passing, you know, he's a good passer, but he's not anything spectacular. No, I mean, he took like, a wrist shot at Jeff Yeah, Petrie that was crazy. Game. Last game, he, he literally took a wrist shot that, you know, at, at Petrie just along the, uh, yeah, along the like blue line. Yeah, it was waist height, though. Yeah, and, and it wasn't, like, under pressure or anything. Yeah. It was like, it, you know, Petrie's athleticism basically stopped it from going into the Calgary bench. But 
Um, you know, so he's not a particularly great passer. He's just, he's that can at the top of the circle. And like, you know, it's good to just have him in that role. Yeah, I mean, this week we saw him also jump into, I believe it was the top 10 all time in power play goals from defensemen. Yeah, one thing, yeah, one thing before I just let you finish there is I'm, I'm not going to start criticizing the power rankings because we made it obviously, but I think Weber needs to up his physicality a little bit. I, I don't notice hits from him. He's not throwing many hits. And I also don't notice him clear the game. net. He doesn't clear the net. Yeah. Yeah, which is crazy for a guy his size, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, I'm going to keep my eye on him for this week. I want to see how he does with guys in front of the net because we know he cross-checks, but I want to see if he does move people Yeah, I feel like, I feel like uh, you know, he's kind of, you know, he sees how Sherratt's playing and he thinks he can kind of lay back a little mm-hmm. bit. But That might be it. Yeah. But speaking of Sherratt, that's actually going to be number two. Um, you know, I, I I really just like his game. He's not doing anything flashy. He's got two points in the eight games, but he's just playing so solid. You know, when he took down Kachuk in front of that, with the, it was a bit, I'll call it a scrum because it was kind of like punching and wrestling, but he just takes care of it. That's the best way I can, you know, when I think of Ben Sherratt, just like, just he'll take care of it. Yeah. You know, the guy's just... He's he's just a like he's he's just a big fridge like he doesn't move, but he he just holds his ground. He does clear the net. He can skate. It's just we you know I have nothing but good things to say about Gerard. I'd like to see him jump up a little more in the offensive zone just because we've seen he can. Yeah, I think he just needs to shoot more. Like yeah, I, that's know, I, I understand him not going into the corners because he doesn't have the. Uh, the oh no, I don't finesse. mean deep and everything. I yeah, just yeah. mean being you know a presence in yeah, there just because he, he doesn't add have a threat. Yeah, he doesn't have the hands per se, but he's got a very underrated shot, like we were saying, and like I think he you know he should he should release it a bit more. Well, that's it exactly. That, that's Although what I, was I like his to say. play where he does where he 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 does this quite often, but he'll intentionally miss the net to get the puck to bounce in front of the crease. Mm-hmm. I love it when he does that. He did yeah, that that's against just, That's just high IQ and I mean it's just yeah. he's, he's a good player. But all he's around. just a, you know, the reason why he's two on our on our on our top 3 power ranking for defenseman is just he's such a solid D man. Yeah. Like he's, you know, the, there's very little to criticize about his D play. He's always in the right position. You know, and and most importantly, like he finishes his hits and he clears the goddamn net, which is like such a, you know, it's so important against these teams like Calgary. Like, you know, Kachuk will get right up in Allen's face. Yeah. And like, if no one's gonna clear him, like, you know, that's gonna, you know, it's gonna wane on Allen. I think it's worth mentioning too, just to show where his game's at. His D partner Weber is a minus one, and Sherratt's a plus two. So while Weber's on the power play. Sherratt's still three times not on the ice yeah. when we get scored on. So, you know, it's, you know we saw Sherratt playing out with Edmondson for a complete shutdown kind of line for a little. And it's just, you know, he's a reliable guy. And that's exactly the word I would describe. He's just reliable. So, you know, moving on to the number one defenseman this week, it's got to be Joel Edmondson. Yeah, I was going to say. He's just yeah. been such a pleasant surprise. Yeah, um, yeah, it's just going off of what we said with Sherratt, it's like, you know, there's just very little to criticize them. I mean, he's in top three and plus minus in the league right now. I think he's like a plus eight or nine. Um, just double check that. But, yeah. you know, he's he's clearly doing everything right. I mean, it, it's nice seeing him gel. I mean, he his D partner, we've talked about this before. Um, you know, him and Petrie are just, it's like, it's like literally a match made in heaven. I mean, like they, they complement each other perfectly and they have such similar styles except, you know, just... One's more defensively minded, one's more offensively minded. Um, and, you know, the thing about Edmondson, why he's number one is because, 
you know, he makes people around him better. You know, like he's not producing, you know, what Weber's producing, for example, but everyone around him just seems to thrive when he's on the ice. And, you know, he brings a, he brings a confidence in his teammates when he's on where like he, you know, you could see Petrie being more confident moving up with the puck. Uh, you can see, uh, you know, even, you know, even more riskier changes, uh, knowing Edmondson's back there and, you know, potentially getting a breakaway. And, you know, I just, I love the, I love how much he's melded with the team. Oh, yeah. I also like his composure with the puck. You know, he doesn't seem to uh, panic at all, especially in front of the net. He's one of those guys who, and I, I love this in defensemen, but I notice him when there's kind of like a, a, you know, a bit of a scrum in front of the net. He'll kind of just very calmly get the puck, and instead of just whipping it down the ice, I find he either, you know, he'll pivot and take it behind the net, or he'll go and he'll make a pass that just, you know, is tape to tape, I believe last game even I thought he was dumping the puck in and it was like a perfect pass to Tatar at one yeah. point that it even surprised me and like I I have the bird's eye view watching TV yeah. so it's just you know I, I have nothing bad to say about you know again like I'd like to see him jump up a little more in the offense and when I mean jump up I don't mean like physically like skating up I just mean like I'd like to see his name on the stat sheet more because he too has two points in eight games and I think he, his ceiling's a little higher, but you know what? I won't complain when he has such, you know, higher, I guess, like, in like untangibles and um, just doing what he does right. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point you made. Like, his composure is just crazy. Like, yeah. I, I noticed where, like you were saying, when he gets the puck, like, you know, off a rebound, off carry, he takes that, like, extra second to, like, scan instead of just, like, dumping it down mm-hmm. and, like, getting either an icing or you know, having a D-man uh, on their side catch it. So, you know, I completely agree. So who's uh, going off to, going on to forwards now? Who do you have at number six? Uh, Jonathan Druin. Um, you know, just, just off stats alone from this last week, Druin was our point leader, but that's not really what we base our uh, power rankings on. But even then, it's worth mentioning. Um, you know, Druin has been very, very, you know, sneakily a point per game this season. He's got eight points in eight games. Um, I just I like what he's doing lately. You know he's making the right plays. I'll I'll just I'll just talk about why he's sixth as the you know the week's point leader. There's a reason for him being number six. But um, let I me just, do that part. I'm, all, <laughs> I'm always critical of Drew. Well, that, so. yeah, I, I definitely want to mention that you know like I he's he kind of showed a few old habits that are bad habits, but he's showed a few new kind of tricks up his sleeve. And the funny thing about them to me is that they're not tricks. They're just hard work. I've noticed that like Druin is now playing the boards. He's throwing hits. He's forechecking. That was the thing. Um, I'm sure you're going to get into it more detail, but I just want to say I need a bit more from him in terms of back checking. I need a little bit more in terms of smart decision-making with his passes. But other than that, I, I, I was happy to see, I think he was, you know, again, number six means he was better than half the team, but I don't think he was the best forward on the ice. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, Druin, Druin's been like a breath of fresh air for me this season. I, I think he's, you know, he's changed up a lot of his game. It's become a lot more physical and, uh, you know, he's making smarter passes, but you know, it, it's normal, I guess, for when the Habs to lose that we kind of see some, you know, old habits, like you said, mm-hmm. uh, come up. But I, I specifically met, I noticed them in Druin probably because I'm, I'm, I'm usually hypercritical of Druin. But, you know, it's just because, uh, you know, sometimes when there's a lack of effort plays, those really drive me nuts. And there was a few plays against Calgary, specifically in the second game that, you know, 
basically uh, made me want to punch a hole in the wall. Yeah, but well, you know, the it, it's the yeah. So I was, yeah, so I was gonna say is like number one for me was that really bad drop pass on on the power play, which is like a diagnostic of what he used to do last year and the year before that, where you know it's basically fancy Druin, you know, and and it, it's annoying because like if he looks at his plays now and why he's a point per game, it's because he scrapped that fancy component of his game. Yeah, and that's why he's successful. But you know, again, he goes on the power play tries to drop pass it to Petrie and just no one's there. Yeah. You know, or what he does is he basically drop passes it with such little force that it goes about two feet and the winger just goes and grabs it and brings it down the ice. Um, another one is his back check, you know, against a team like Calgary, like with that Monaghan line, like you've got to get back into the play. And like, I understand you're gassed, but like, so is everyone else. Well, that's it. I also wanted to mention, there's one thing that stood out that I noticed him do twice is that he carries the puck in one on three and immediately loses the puck. Yeah. That one bothers me a lot because every other player will dump that in the corner. He's trying to kind of McDavid his way through the Calgary defense. And you know what? He might, that might work one out of a hundred times, but you know, 99% of the time he's not getting you through. Do you want to know why it, it kills doesn't, our rush. Yeah. Do you want to know why it doesn't work though? Because like he, he has good hands. Like Jonathan Drew has good hands. He does not have remotely enough speed. That's yeah. the thing. He he kind of glides in sometimes. And another thing is too though is like Druin's not tiny. No, yeah, like, he's Druin's like, small. Druin's like two oh five, I think. Yeah, something okay? like that. And the problem is, is that he loses speed. Okay, so he's not nearly as fast as those guys that can you know bring it in on those one on threes. So like even like Anderson, okay, like he he doesn't have the speed like that. But he also you know for a guy who's two oh five, which like you know is roughly 10 pounds heavier than the average weight in the NHL, never uses his body, no. like, ever. So, like, he keeps trying to deke around three defenders when, one, he has n- not nearly enough speed going in, and he doesn't use his body. So yeah. it's, like, it's purely stick work. So, like, yeah, it's going to maybe work one out of ten times, but, you know, those other other nine times where it doesn't work, like, it leads to an odd man rush, and it drives me nuts. Well, yeah, and it also kills our rush because, especially on the power play, when you break in, like, the perfect example is... You know, either Petrie or Suzuki, I think, do it best where when they hit the blue line, it's one move and it's either you're stopping and letting everyone set up or you're dumping and chasing. It's you just you can't afford to just kill the momentum like that where everyone's got to hit the like the brakes and turn around. But but um, yeah, (laughs) this was a power rank. So like what Druin did do right was like, obviously, he's producing offensively. So like that that Suzuki line's gelling very well, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, Besides that, specifically those two games against Calgary, uh, more so that that latter game, like where, with the two nothing loss, yeah. you know. Besides that, he's been playing very well, and I, I don't see any of his old habits. So no. let's just hope that you know this was kind of a one off, which I think it is. Yeah, I think it was a bit of a panic. You know, it's the first time the Habs are having trouble scoring, so you know it's it's very typical of people in general when it's not going their way to go back into their you know old habits. But um, yeah, overall number six because. Doing well, could be doing better, but doing well. Um, who's number five? I got to say Paul Byron. And this is another uh, you know, guy who, you know, kind of like Sherrod and Edmondson, you know, the, he's just doing what he's supposed to do. And he's playing smart hockey. And, um, you know, what that means for Paul Byron is he's having this insane burst of speed that I haven't seen in a few years from him. You know, yeah. like there's a few times against Calgary where like, you know, you give this guy an inch, he's gone. Like yeah. that happened like two or three times and it led to two similar toe drag shots on Markstrom. And, uh, you know, his speed just continues to amaze me. And, 
you know, it's, uh, you mix that in with like great back checking and like a very smart defensive uh, mind in, in, in our zone. And you get like, you know, a very good hockey player. And that's what Paul Byron is. And it's just good to see that he's, do you find it's like the first time in a few years he's looked himself? Yes. I, I mean, that's, that's kind of where I was going to jump in on that is that he kind of looks like he's back to playing his game. And I think that is largely because he's found a home on the fourth line. He's not being bounced around. He's not being told, you know, you're second line right winger all of a sudden. He's a fourth line left winger and that's where he thrives. I mean, mm-hmm. that that's the thing is he's one of probably the best fourth liners in the league. And I think, you know, the reason why he's only number five is, yeah, you know, he's playing a lot of good hockey. So far, he hasn't been able to kind of seal the deal. I think he has two points in eight games and they're both assists. Mm-hmm. Um, Byron's going to score. I'm not worried about him in that sense, but... Um, he's doing everything right. It's just he needs to kind of get that finish going. Um, yeah, there's not much else I have with Byron that uh, I, I can even point out because he's he's been a very consistent presence yeah, the entire way through. So I can't think of a single mistake it. this week. You know, he's well, just that's he's it. It's, super it's, solid. He's, he hasn't been electric in terms of you know his offense, but he also hasn't been a liability. Christ, is he fast though? Yeah, it's just, it's crazy to see a guy that size at that age being one of those guys who can just take off it's yeah insane. he's it's you know you he gets one step on you he's gone yeah but yeah okay, um, he threw johnny gojo to the wind he threw uh quinn hughes to the wind these guys are like known for their skating yeah and he's just burning them yeah so uh who do you have at number four uh for number four it's gonna be the uh the man the myth the legend cory perry <laughs> um he he's doing exactly what we need i i'm so happy to see you know, first of all, that he's gelling with guys like Kotkaniemi and Toffoli. Um, Perry came in, he made that beautiful pass to Gallagher on the power play. Yeah, the between the legs. Yeah, and it's just, he's doing what we need him to do. And, you know, he's also a physical presence. He's not a small guy. You know, the way he protected, I believe it was Romanov along the boards, was, that's just a veteran move to kind of recognize. Yeah, we finally got to, uh, sorry to cut you off there, but we finally got to see Corey Perry's crazy eyes. Yeah, exactly. For the, <laughs> yeah, it just like, you can tell the second God, the helmet he looks, comes off. He looks off, fucking nuts. Well, he does. I mean, he is. <laughs> yeah. Like, hit with his helmet off, like, uh, you know, Jesse made a good comparison to Arthur Shelby from yeah. Peaky Blinders, <laughs> but Jesus Christ, this guy looks like a, just an absolute nut job, but I love it. Yeah, no, he's just so much fun to watch, and like, I just, I'm, you know, he's he's been productive. Like, he's, yeah. he's had points on the board every, like, pretty much every game, except obviously the uh, the shutout, shutout yeah. you know? and no, like he's incredible. He's, he's just doing his job. Once Armia comes back, he'll go back to the taxi squad, and then the next guy who gets hurt, he'll jump back Guarantee in. Guarantee you it's Byron or possibly Druin, and up goes Perry again. Yeah, there we go, and we'll bring back What do you do with Froelich? Honestly, I I don't know. I think Froelich. I think what they're just gonna do is if it is Byron that gets hurt, they're gonna put in, uh, Froelich. And if it's Army, if it's a right hand shot, they're gonna put in Perry. If it's a left hand yeah. shot, they put in Froelich. That's basically it. I mean, uh, the only rare one will be if Lekkonen gets hurt, which is Never, highly yeah. unlikely. But Lekkonen's a left hand shot playing the right side, so do you, maybe they'll put in Perry or maybe they'll put in Froelich. Like who knows? Yeah. But um. Yeah, I, I'm just, I'm so happy it's working for Corey Perry because he wants to be here. We want him here. And it would have been such a shame if he didn't produce and if he didn't show up. <laughs> Speaking of Lekkonen, do you remember that? Uh, I think it was two, I think it was 20, the 2018 season, that uh, game that he refused to not play and he, he had uh, he had a stomach flu. 
and he he was on the bench and like every five minutes he was walking to the tunnel to throw up oh it's like the jordan flu game yeah and then like they they panned to him uh they panned to him on the bench and like this guy was just like stark white like it was just it, it was that just I, sums up Arturi like yeah it's, he's he's just a he's a soldier there's yeah. no other way to put it the guy just does exactly what he's told to do and he does it so well but um yeah for number three who do you have Yes, Ferry Kotkaniemi. So it's about time we saw him. On yeah, here. he's just you know he's he's starting to fill into his role that we saw kind of in the bubble last year. I mean, like he he's his four checks on point, his face offs are great. Yeah, he's Surpri- really killing his face off. Fifty percent, fifty one almost. Fifty one yeah. almost. Yeah, and like you know he's taken enough face offs now that it looks like it's kind of a trend. I think it has something to do with his weight going up. He can lean into, and he's got this uh, this funky style where he kind of flips his stick to the backhand. Yeah, we noticed that. That was yeah. where so you, he has his forehand on his backhand yeah, for like so a he, scooping. It's like method a scooping there. scooping method, but you know he's he's also I noticed taking a lot more shots. He's he's doing that thing where he like he really leans into his stick, mm-hmm. um, and you know those are bound to go in soon. Yeah, and, most of them are getting blocked. It's about picking his spots. Yeah, he's got to pick his spots through, a little he's bit. Scoring. Yeah, and I think you know once he gets set up in that one timer position too, he's got a wicked he's got a wicked shot. So I'm just happy with everything with KK. I you know also. A big downfall of KK last year was how bad he was defensively. It looks like Jesperi Kakinyemi could play on our penalty kill right now. Like His defensive plays are just great. He took one off of, uh, I forget who it was, but it was against Calgary. Um, you know, it, it was a, it was an odd man rush, and Kakinyemi got back and play, made a fantastic defensive play. You know, it, you could tell he worked with Julian in the offseason to really, really clean that up. No, yeah, most, most definitely. I also think he may have worked with a couple of the... Finnish guys back home over the break, like a Saku Koifu even. We know Placanic's been involved with a couple of the new guys, like Jan Maisak and everything, who's from the Czech Republic. So I, I like this kind of passing of the torch thing the Habs are doing with guys yeah. from, you know, that specific region. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm sure they... It, it shows that he put in the work. Yeah, so who do you um, have for number two? Yeah, j- just before we do, actually, I think it's also worth noticing because it kind of surprised us before the game... Kotkaniemi has put up five points in five games. Yeah. I did not realize that until, and I understand that he's a little bit streaky where he goes, you know, like three games doesn't have a point, then five in a row, then three games. But you know what? He's starting to find his game. He's getting more assists too, which is where he was kind of lacking in terms of point production. But yeah, going on to number two, and this one I feel like people are going to have a little bit of a uh, debate over is Tyler Toffoli. Um, now remember guys this isn't over the season like this is this specific week so against the two Calgary games like I realized Toffoli is eight goals yeah (laughs) well well, that's exactly and that's why I'm saying people might not have the um, not be in agreement that he was the second best forward on the team for the two Calgary games he's like over a point per game like we realized that but you know it's it's the two Calgary games we're talking about yeah and like I think that one his shorthanded goal he just added to his goal mark yeah. But it's also the fact that he was doing a lot of things right on and off the puck. If you really watch the guy, he makes very smart passes. He takes really high danger opportunities. And, you know, it's if he buries, t- you know, 10% of his chances, he's going to have a lot of goals. So, you know, they're not all going to go in, but he just he's a smart, very cerebral player. He's really, you know, he's, he's making everyone else around him look good. Yeah. And I just, I love having this guy on the team. I don't think he was the number one player, but I think, you know, ignoring the fact that he only had one goal in two games, which is apparently a low for him. What's he at now? Six, seven? Uh, six or seven, you know, yeah, I'm so, not yeah. 100% sure. But um, I know he has 
you know, just a lot of goals. And one in two games we shouldn't be complaining about. So to jump in on that, like... It's six goals in eight games. Six goals in eight games. I mean, I think it's like eight or nine points. Yeah, nine points. Nine points. So, like, obviously, you know, my comment there was was alluding to the fact that, you know, Tyler Toffoli does a lot more on the ice than just score, um, which is something I was kind of surprised about, you know. Um, You know, I mentioned that because, you know, obviously this guy would make the power rank purely based off of his production, but... You know, on a on a week where he didn't have a ton of production, he's still making going up there in the power rank just because of the plays he makes that don't lead to to goals. You know, like he he plays great neutral zone hockey. He's very very smart in the neutral zone. He he knows when to push when and when not to push. Uh, he he makes great line change decisions. He changes perfectly. Um, and you know, who would have thought Tyler Toffoli would have been this good of a penalty killer? Yeah, honestly. You know I mean, like, this guy's, like, an incredible penalty killer. Like, we have, we have a very deep penalty kill now. Like, it used to be, like, Dano, Lekkonen, then we're fucked, basically. Well, yeah, and now it's, like, Dano, Lekkonen, Army Suzuki, of Byron, Army of Byron, Toffoli, Kotkaniemi, Evans. Yeah, Anderson. Anderson. It's, it's, it's like, eight forwards out yeah, of the team. Yeah, so it's, like, you know, all of our guys can can play defensively. I mean, like, uh, the only one I'd leave out there is probably uh, Tatar and Gallagher. But even Tatar could probably do it. Gallagher, no chance. But yeah, I mean, but, I w- that's exactly. It. I probably wouldn't trust Tatar, Gallagher, and Druin. Yeah, exactly. Like Druin, yeah, definitely. So really, yeah. but nine out of your twelve forwards yeah. are not going to be in the box. Yeah, exactly. So you know, Toffoli, uh, you know, earns his spot on the power rank. You know, just great week. Yeah, I no, just. Uh, you know, yeah, obviously we could have used some goals in a 2 nothing loss, but I, you know, you can't blame it on one guy. Yeah, you either. can't ask for and much he made more. Great, and he made great. Exactly, I think. It'll all even out anyway. So who's number one this week? So number one this week is Brendan Gallagher. I'm so happy that he's up there. Uh, you know, a bit of a slower start this season for Brendan. Um, but, you know, he consistently week to week has just been doing his uh, his linear his linear progression. And, uh, you know, it's more of an acceleration now because I just notice him more and more every game. Um, you know, in front of the net, he's back to his, he's back on his bullshit in front of the net. <laughs> really yeah you know irritating people not just in front of the net yeah not just in front of the net <laughs> but you know there was this funny play where who was on him yesterday god damn it <sighs> it was backland i think it was backland but like basically the camera panned over you couldn't see whose face it was or and jersey back, number yeah, and no you couldn't tell who it was but backland was basically just smothering this canadian's player and we were like who's that pokemon and then like <laughs> brendan gallagher's head just pops out and it's, it's like brendan. he's got it he's got his goofy <laughs> smile on like he really got under someone's skin you know yeah. that like that look of uh, that look of accomplishment yeah, he just has when he knows he's like completely <laughs> when he knows he like completely uh, made someone break. But you know, there's a lot of things go into this pick. One, he draws so many penalties. I think like against Calgary alone, I can think of like three that yeah. basically he irritated them into slashing him or interfering with him or tripping him, and like he didn't even have the puck. No, okay, exactly. so you know that, and also I mean he he scored on the power play yeah. from that great great pass from Perry and I just like that he just knows what he's good at and he sticks to it like Gallagher like you never you never get experimental with Gallagher and he (laughs) never wants to get experimental he knows what he's good at he knows that he needs to take a high volume of shots and he never tries to get pretty with it he keeps his stick on the ice yeah and he just swings at the puck well that's it right is you know if you're thinking about his goal against Calgary that was the most Brendan Gallagher goal was just skate in a straight line towards the net with your stick on the ice. He didn't even shoot the puck. His momentum of him just skating in a straight line and a great pass from Perry is what scored. He (laughs) he really just was like one of those um, uh, you know those bubble games there where the players only just twist. 
Right. That's Brendan Gallagher. The, the greatest thing about Brendan Gallagher and like the best visual is like thinking of that goal when he's hunched over leaning on his stick. Yeah. Okay. You know that's because he knows when he goes to the net he's getting cross checked. Oh yeah. And like he's just anticipating it, hunched over like Milan Lucci. Yeah. And like uh, you know he's he just he does what he does so well. I'm I'm happy he's up yeah, there. Yeah. And it's nice to see exactly that he's playing his game. I mean, and we're saying he was off to a bit of a slow start, but the guy's got five points in eight games. Three goals on the season. Yeah, I meant more his scoring. He he took a little while to get going. Yeah, he there, took he took a couple games to get going. I think he scored his second Vancouver game, right? Uh, no, the first Vancouver. Okay, game. so yeah. yeah, it was on his fourth game then. Fourth game, yeah. So right, I mean, he's on pace for twenty one goals this year over a fifty six game, uh, yeah, streak, and I believe that translates to a uh, a pretty decent season. By yeah, it's a thirty one goal year, so yeah, he's so he's completely on pace yeah. with his norm. And, uh, yeah, he's just, Gallagher really, you know, shined over these two games, even if they weren't the most, uh, I mean, you know, best outcome we could have asked for. Again, I'll take one for two against the top. You know, we'll split the games with the best ones and just crush the low guys. I'm okay with that. Um, so, yeah, I think that basically sums up the power ranking, just to kind of read it through. We had Edmondson at one, then Sherrod and Weber for the D. And you want to read the forwards? Yeah, so first overall, again, we had Brendan Gallagher. Then we had Toffoli, number two. Kotkaniemi at number three. Corey Perry, number four. Paul Byron at number five. And then Jonathan Drew at number six. So yeah, that basically sums it up. Uh, again, we have a back-to-back with Vancouver, February 1st and 2nd. So you'll catch the Between the Whistles podcast on February 1st. Yeah, all right. We'll catch you guys later. Thank you for listening to the Habs Puck Drop podcast. You can email us your thoughts, questions, and suggestions through our email at habspuckdrop at gmail.com or direct message us on Instagram at habspuckdrop. We'll see you next time.